You are now in tune to a 726 Studio production. Yo, what's up? And welcome back to another episode of Planet Josh. Today's episode, I'm joined by a very special guest. Someone that I've known since the tender age of what? 13. That's quite some time now. That's like what? Half of my age. And this person was my Spanish teacher in high school, life skills, homeroom teacher. Um, someone that I've gone to for advice every now and again. And that is the one and only, the lovely Miss Katia Castaneda. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Josh. It's great to be here. I was wondering when I would get my chance. Well, here you are. <laughs> here I am. Yeah. So how are you doing? Well, I'm good. It's Sunday morning um, after a rainy night here in Belize, in Bumalpan specifically. Um, and it's rest day for me, so I'm glad we got this time and space to share. Um, but overall, life, life is Good. Life has been better. It has been turbulent in recent years. I think for most of the world or all yeah. of the world. Yeah. So, um, but I would like to think that it's it's settling. Um, and then when you asked me about, you know, my time as a teacher, I was like, whoa, you know, that was a real throwback. And I had to, to like, all right, stop and think because it's been a while. It has. It's been a while because you guys graduated in 2013. Yes. And the minute you, you guys graduated, I said, okay, I can leave now. I can leave teaching now. I don't, I bl I I, I don't blame you either because <laughs> it, it's, it, it would not be possible to find a, another set of students as good as we were. Wink, wink. I, <laughs> I agree. No, I agree. I totally agree. And, um, not to discredit the, the the other kids that I was teaching at the time in in lower grades, um, but I think the connection that we had as well with the homeroom and even with the graduating class it was just very different. And I do I at the time I didn't feel that I had that sort of connection with the others. Um, so you know, like when they say. Um, all good things must come to an end and there's a time and space for for all of it i i honestly felt that perfectly at peace with leaving the education world at that time and it's worked out for me since then you know and it's been an absolutely amazing experience to see you guys grow and, you know get out of that high school age and just come into your own and and um Albeit we, we've had little, you know, moments where of a lot of sadness and a lot of grief when it relates to, to losing loved yes, ones. Yes, unfortunately. Yes. Um, but for the most part, it's filled with joy to see how you guys are coming into your own into this world. And, you know, and I don't. I don't take credit for it. Like, you know, that, oh, I had a little speck to do with all of that. Um, or at least I want to think that I do. Um, and then I know for a fact there are certain students that I did connect with a little bit more than others. And these are the students that up to this day, you know, up to this day would check in or like like you who who need advice or who need 
um, support in something or who just, you know, need information or just want to check in. You know, and, and it's like, like time did not pass. Like in the last nine years did not pass. So it's, it's been an interesting set of years since then. And in recent days, you know, I've been reminiscing um, about what it was like in those five years. And it is insane, Joshua. It's insane the, 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 um, the pace that teachers carry throughout the school year. And I don't think I could go back to that. To that um, it's pace crazy. Of life right now. It is crazy. I mean, literally, the only time they get, quote unquote, off is the, the summer break, the month of July. And that's the only time that they like can shut off their phones and just disappear. But other than that, you're on call. You're literally, literally told that you are on call as of August 1st, all the way up to um, June 30th. You're on call. Like if the school calls you, if a parent calls you, a student needs you, you're on call. You're required to respond. So, and that was before all the WhatsApp and all. Yeah, that's when you, you know, communication was very limited. Yes, it was just text messages or a call, you know. Um, Facebook, you, you, I mean, at the time it wasn't, we didn't have Instagram, not all of these things that could facilitate communication. But now I see teachers having to have a second phone. You know, this one is for school. And when I shut it down, I shut it down. Then they have a separate secret mystery number. <laughs> the only family and friends. Yeah, only you know? only the personal connections. Yes, yes, because you have to create your boundaries, and that is something. Well, that has been from time immemorial. You have to create your boundaries from from the get go, um, because some people will try to you know to abuse it. And even back then, I remember getting a couple calls from parents at nine, ten at night asking about assignments you know and i'm like yeah i can talk to them in the morning about that um the only calls that i remember i would receive like outside like you know i have no problem is when a student would go missing and i don't know if you guys ever found out how often this would happen um but we would get a call and it would be mostly females you know so and so didn't show up after school and this is eight nine ten at night and they haven't gotten home from school and the mom in me would just freak out would just freak out and say where is this child i saw them get on the bus i dismissed them from the classroom I, you know and then the work the worst fears are popping up at that hour of the night and because you, you can understand that maybe at six o'clock in the evening they're not home yet but here, most most students are home by four, five, the latest, I would say, if you have like extracurriculars and stuff. Yep. And but, not, um, not to cut you off, but no, like, no, it's okay. and that's and that's a crazy thing. Like, I always try to tell like my friends here in Taiwan and my girlfriend and everyone, because in their culture, whenever they're finished with class, their normal school, they go to like cram schools. And at first, when I got here, I used to see little kids well not little kids like early teens and what's mm -hmm. not and i would be out maybe to get something to eat at around nine or later and you'll still see them in their school uniforms out and i'm like you know wow. back home back home nine ten like the day is winding down you're getting ready to go sleep to start the exactly. new day however yeah. a lot of them here i still you know, just wrapping up their day and getting ready to go uh, home first and foremost. 
Yeah, it, it speaks a lot to the culture and and even to the 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 um the safety issue. Yeah, that too. Right, because the, I I don't think they would freak out if their child is out at eight or nine, but here one of my daughters isn't home and i mean and one of them is almost 20 years old but if she hasn't gotten home and she hasn't communicated with me i would be freaking out you know so wow that's i've heard of that about taiwan and that it's a very safe place so you know it's so different it's so so because now joshua even some schools have instituted this rule that you cannot be seen in your uniform beyond a certain hour. And I think for the school that I'm thinking of, I think it's beyond six o'clock or beyond five. So by five o'clock or by six o'clock in the evening, you should not be seen anywhere with the school uniform on. So, you know, and it speaks to that. They, they want to ensure that you get home and change off. And then if you want to go back out, then it's on you. You're not representing the school. I'm guessing it's a thing of liability and whatnot. Yeah, they, they don't want to have that, you know, that connection to whatever is happening. Whatever you're out doing, you yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and times are different. Like, like um, the, the question that I always get, Miss Cass, would you go back to teach? And I said, no, I don't think I can. I don't think I have the tools anymore to handle this generation of students. I think it takes a lot more energy and patience. Um. And even this generation of parents, because it, it's a different parenting style that is required. Um, and I think I'm a little bit old school in certain things, in my teaching and in my parenting. Um, so I don't know if that would fly. <laughs> with some of yeah. So now before, you know, you're talking about people asking you to go back. Mm -hmm. Let's let's take this trip all the way back. All the way back. All the way back to the beginning. Now, okay. growing up, you know. We always see teachers. They are very good teachers. They are very bad teachers, to be <laughs> honest. Yeah. Um, at what point did you decide, like, okay, maybe I become a teacher? Was that ever a thought of yours growing up? Um, you took me way, way back. And I just got a flashback when I was a little girl, I would say maybe five or six. My dad got me a chalkboard. And I remember one of the games that we would play, we would play teacher. And, you know, the neighborhood kids or my siblings and, yeah, everyone would take a turn and not everyone liked to be the teacher. I love being the teacher. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why my dad thinks um, I like being a teacher. But um, it's funny, though, because we never really grew up with teachers in our immediate family. My dad was an agronomist. My mom was a nurse. So, you know, traditionally you would think you would go in one of those. Yeah, areas. you gravitate to something related mm -hmm, to what to they something do. related to that. But I honestly think it is something you are born with. I, I, Because regardless of being out of the teaching profession right now, um, a lot of the skills are just there. I still use them. Um, it's with my personality, I believe. Um, and it just sticks with you. So whether, like how they say, once a teacher, always a teacher, um, that happens. So it wasn't really like I wanted to be a teacher. I kind of fell into it. Um, my, my undergrad is actually in agricultural science and natural resource management. So 
nothing related to life skills and Spanish. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing whatsoever. (laughs) Um, The only thing is that I did study in a Spanish country. So my Spanish language skills, I I had to learn a lot of the technical aspects of it when I got to Costa Rica. Because the Spanish we speak colloquially here in Belize, it's what we call kitchen Spanish. So it's very, very basic. And studying at a tertiary level in full Spanish, it's a whole next level. So I had to learn a lot of the technical aspects of it, um, mostly in my first year. Um, and for parts of it, I struggled because it's it's learning these these um, these techniques and 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 this knowledge that most of my colleagues that are from Latin America got from when they were in primary school. So it was one of those situations that I'm learning all the technical aspects in my other classes, and then I have to come learn the Spanish that goes along with those things in a separate class. And then having to write in Spanish and present in Spanish and all these things. Um, We like to say we're bilingual. I don't think we're not. We get a reality check when we're out there. Um, And then I did have teaching stints, like a teaching assistant um, stint in university. So that was kind of like the first immersion, like formal immersion of, of a, being the leader in a classroom. Um, I had a couple of professors who had asked me to deliver certain um, topics for them because they thought I managed it better than the other students or I would deliver it to the levels um, lower than I was. When I was a fourth year, I would be delivering third year classes, that sort of thing. And I liked it. Um, it was fun. At least for me at the time, it was fun. When I came back um, from Costa Rica, already graduated, one of the first jobs that I got, and jobs have always been difficult to obtain from time memorial, but it wasn't as difficult as it is now. Um, I had come back. I came back like in May. And in July, I got hired at the Wampan Comprehensive as a integrated science and biology teacher. And it was supposed to be for one term, one semester. Um, And that was my first real immersion as a high school teacher. I had, let me see if I can remember now, I think eight classes and two subjects each. And it was all the way from first form all the way up to fourth. So I had the gamut of, of all the ages and hormone levels um, and then uh, at that time I was let me see how old I was I was 22 I was 22 I had students who were like just two years younger than I was um, and well you know me I'm five foot tall I'm gonna use the word tall you know and then you have these towering young men in Fort Farm, I, at the beginning, it was intimidating. But one of the things that one of the older teachers had told me, he was like, set the pace from the moment you step into the classroom for the first time. So you have to set that mood and that 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 boundary from the very on. So I've always had, a, a I want to say, a strong character. So that came easily. Don't look at their height. <laughs> You, you might remember some of those moments, you know. Oh, strong, and, um, strong character. <laughs> like, like that, that part when you said about the strong character. And that's crazy because one year 
like well you were for us one of the more caring teachers like you know you want us to pass and everything but at the same time you make sure you like you said you set the boundaries there's a time and a place to play there's a time and a place to be serious mm-hmm. and as a class i think we knew that whenever we and especially towards the third and fourth years where you became our homeroom teacher we knew that the moment we mess up with whether it's with you or some other teacher we're gonna you know yeah, we're, we're kind of scared of what's to come <laughs> And you and you guys, from what I remember, you guys, you learned to me and I learned to you. And I think that's why I said the connection was much stronger because we kind of, we knew when we could press a little bit more and when we needed to stop. And this goes from both sides as a teacher and as students. And then um, I remember, I don't know if you remember my first day, I, I would always tell my homeroom, I, it's tough love. I will love you and I will fight for you and I will advocate for you to administration with other teachers, with your parents when they are in the wrong or when they aren't listening to you. But the minute you mess up, you break a school rule, you disrespect someone else. I'm going to be the first one to call you out and to make sure you, you pay the consequences for that because it's, it's, it's fair. That's just the way life is. You got to balance it out. You can't get away with things all the time, especially when you are the one in the wrong. And I think that came from my parents because they were tried to be as fair as possible in that sense. And then so I brought that into my teaching. And eventually I brought that into my parenting because at the time when you guys were were in high school, my eldest daughter, she was like seven, eight. So she wasn't in her teen years yet. And I would always say to myself, I'm practicing with 120 students right now. So whatever experience I get with 120 students, I want to be able to incorporate the best parts of that into my my parenting of of my daughter. And it really did help. So now that you mentioned it, how was it balancing life as a teacher? You know, to some students, you're like a second mom. And yeah. then you and then you go home and then, the, you know, you you're the mom to your daughter for real. This one is 100 percent, you know, yeah. <laughs> My responsibility, like, yeah. Yeah. So how do you juggle the two? How did you then? I think it wasn't difficult, like it, like it wasn't impossible. Um, and the main reason for that is because I had a very strong support system. And when I say that, well, I've always been a single mom. So it was just her and I at the time. But my mom and my dad were around and we lived right near to them. So they, once I would get her ready in the morning and they would start taking care of her and dropping her off at school and all that. By that time, I'm already at work. So they would be the ones to just make sure she she has her school bag and all her stuff um in the vehicle and would drop her off. They would pick her up at lunchtime for lunch, get her back. If she needed any material, they would be the ones. So I could be at, at Olog from seven thirty in the morning to four o'clock in the evening. And um and I could be almost worry free that my child is taken care of. Now after that, the the the, the agreement at home, anytime after that, I am completely responsible for her. 
Um, and that's how we manage it for those five years. They, they really, really helped me. And in the middle of all of that, my dad passed away. So we had to kind of adjust things um, with the family. But then one of my brothers stepped up to be like that male figure um, and that male person in her life. So having a strong support system at the time really did help. And then um, once in the evenings and whatnot, I, I would have to bring home work because there were some evenings I would like, especially with like skills, when we would do the journals and I would, it would be a journal week. Um, they would know because I would stay back at the school um, maybe two days a week. I would stay back until like six, just answering journals. Um, and then so I wouldn't have to bring home so much work. But I still, I mean, teachers take home so much work. It's incredible. My daughter would always say, I, we don't have fun during the school year. But the minute it's Easter break or the minute it's Christmas break, and especially summertime where I could just not have to do schoolwork, that's when we would make the most of it. We would travel, we would do our crafting, we would just, you know, let loose for that month. So we tried to balance it off like that. And um, and we have really nice memories because she would go to school with me whenever, whenever um, I didn't have someone to stay with her. And she loved it. She loved being among the big kids and, you know, seeing how things work on that end um and i would like to think that that her character has developed from there too because same thing with her she knows when she needs to be stern and strong and then when she needs to soften too so i've seen that in her so i would like to think that it's that exposure not only here at home but also at school that that has instilled that in her um and and it was stuff like <laughs> I'm gonna say this now, I probably shouldn't, but I can. Um, she would help me check exams, you know, like the multiple choice. She would sit with her little red pen and just mark. I would make a grid and just so set that, the grid over the paper. So, so is that why I didn't get a hundred? <laughs> no, nah, maybe uh, um. no, 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 because it's a grid. She couldn't go wrong. You just mark, you know, <laughs> like a little pencil over over the the the, the multiple choice. Um. And yeah, and, and it was all her being very patient, like, all right, I just need to finish this set of papers and then we can go. Or in her case, I remember, I mean, she might not remember, but I remember a time one of my homeroom girls had gone missing. And it would really, it would really affect me in the sense, it wasn't only the teacher part of me that would get affected, but the mom part as well. You know, because I can only imagine what their parents are going through, and um, and I I learned early on that there's only that as a teacher there's only so much I can do. I can only call other students, um, check and you know do that phone tree type thing. Um, and then being at a Catholic school, one of the biggest things that was instilled in me then, or that really came out forefront, was prayer. So I learned maybe after like the second or the third student that had gone missing, I said, you know what? I can't be here with my anxiety levels all through the roof. Um, you know, just completely bothered by it. So what I can do is pray. So I learned to kneel down and pray. And I will be very honest with you. There are only two sets of people that I have ever prayed for, my family and my students. 
those are the only, well, not only prayed for, but I have gotten down on my knees and prayed when a student lost a parent or a sibling, when their parents lost a job, when they were hurt, when they were without a parent nearby. Because there were, it is incredible the amount of students that I knew that were just living with someone or living at home by themselves and just having another adult check in with them every now and again. Um, when a student would go missing, when they would be hurt physically, emotionally, psychologically, I got down on my knees and I prayed. And I think that has been one of the biggest takeaways um, from that part of my life, that there's only so much that we can do, but prayer or any form of it or any form of focusing energy and sending out positive energy is one of the best ways that we could help our neighbors. Um, and I wouldn't change that at all. I would not change that. I would prefer to pray for nicer things and not that someone's missing or hurt. Um, but personally for me, spiritually for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways from that. And I have no shame in saying that those are the the main group of persons that have gotten down on my knees at my bed bedside to pray for. I would when like to travel. think that <laughs> I would like to think that, you know, you said you've only prayed for like your family and then students based when they're, you know, in different circumstances. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. I think based on your approach to being a teacher, you could say the two are basically the same. Yeah. Because from my personal experience, and I feel like a lot of my fellow classmates, or at least I know my close friends that I know still have connections to you. Mm -hmm. We've always seen you as, you know, a mother at school. And you're my baby. <laughs> yes, you've always treated us just like, yes, you know, yeah, the same way a mother, a mother treats you at home or wherever. They, they hold you accountable. They, you know, they try to keep you in check. And that exact, that's exactly what you did with us. Mm -hmm. So while oh, you God. said you're praying for family and students, technically. It's the same. I yeah. mean. Because like I said, for, for that period of the day, I was 90% a teacher and 10% um, my focus then, my 10%, I would always keep, you know, in case home needs me for something. But because I had such a strong support system, I could be almost worry-free with the home aspect while I'm at work. And I don't have that luxury right now anymore. Um, but, and a lot of people don't, there are some teachers who go through their day having to, to switch back between the two because their kids need them or their spouses need them. And then you have a hundred, 200, depending on, on what subjects you're teaching students, um, more depending on you too. So it's, it's a very difficult dance for some people. Um, and then some people do it so graciously. Um, and gracefully that you wouldn't know and then there are others who bring everything from home to work and vice versa so even as professionals and this is not only teaching you know there's there's this soft balance that that needs to be obtained and it's difficult though it's difficult because it has a lot to do with emotional intelligence um 
of of and discernment and knowing okay right now i need to deal with this um and i'll deal with that later that sort of thing um but yeah it, it, you guys are my babies my my daughter would say mom look at one of your babies and you all are grown men and women now like married with master's degrees houses kids you know and you're still my babies and i think that won't ever change the what i always laugh at though is that um like the older kids when the one i had just started teaching in 2008 i had a third form set of students and they were like 16 17 at the time um i was only 25 i wasn't that much older than them but <laughs> i had to um I laugh now because in some cases I had to really put the foot down and be like stern. And most of the times you think, oh, my teacher, you know, this whole grown adult. Most of the times when, when they're younger teachers, they're just a couple of years older than you, still trying to figure themselves out too. And they're human. You know, I remember when the kids would be like, oh, I saw you out. And, um, and you were having a good time. I was like, yes, I I'm a young female, you know, I'm not dead. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> confined to my house. I'm not in prison. I'm human. And I think, <laughs> I think students, whenever we're students, we tend to forget that aspect from our teachers. Because like you said, we see them as these adults, as these almost parental figures. Yeah, and they're, and, um, they're only supposed to be at school and go yeah, back to, to their house and, you know. <laughs> and just stay locked up until tomorrow again yeah you know so so that was always interesting but even as teachers um there's a code of conduct and a code of ethics that we're we're guided by so they tell you you're not supposed to be seen the way you dress um and even more so in a catholic school or a religiously dominated school um there there's this code of conduct that that you you need to abide by to be able to keep your employment and because we would get graded at the end of each school year i don't know if you guys know this well you might know this now um for your end of the year appraisals and then based on that you get an increment for the next school year or you don't depending on your scores um and all those things would be brought up like they would be keeping a log of all incidents or you know like in my case, when I would um, question authority, um, and you might know who who would bring this up um, when I would question their authority, or you know, or tell them, "Hey, back off, my kids! My kids aren't doing anything. Just you know, back off." When I would go fight <laughs> yep. in the office, <laughs> yep. <laughs> when I would go fight because you guys weren't in the wrong, they were. So the same way I would fight with you guys, I would go fight with admin too, and. Um, in some cases, I had to get really um, vocal about what I was trying to get across because I wasn't being heard. And I think that is one of the most frustrating things teachers go through is not being listened to and heard by administration. Because teachers, for the most part, know what their students are like. And for someone to come in and, um, and attack someone without reason, attack a student without reason, is is unacceptable and i think after some years you might just let it slip by as a teacher um but at least for those years that i was there i could not when it when it's injustice i can't stand by and 
and just look at it happening. I would have to say something. And because I would say things, I was um, labeled an instigator. So that was my label at, from some persons. I even I, I remember one year, I don't even know where it is right now, but I won the most caring teacher award. And I'm like, I, I received it. And I came home and I'm looking at it. And even now I'm still like bewildered. I was like, but I'm just doing what I think we're all supposed to be doing. So if you see this as extraordinary, how come you're not doing it? How come you're not getting an award for it? Why is it only one person? And I could not reason. Even now I'm like, you know, so it wasn't everyone being that way. So it wasn't everyone pulling money out of pocket to pay for, for a student's um, meal or bus or snack or, you know, following up with their parents, you know, but isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? I found it completely, um, I use the word bewildering because I thought that that's what we had all signed up for. And then here I am being singled out for being the most caring teacher i was like but i thought well, i didn't know it was a competition first of all <laughs> you know and then i didn't know we weren't all doing it or pushing to the same level you're um, just doing what you thought was expected or you know what came with the territory what he, or what and actually it just came natural because i i don't know about you but if if you're in a room of say 20 persons and you and 18 other people are eating and there's this one person who's not eating you know how can you just continue enjoying your meal or if you see a person who's crying who's obviously having a difficult time at school how will you force them to focus on a subject when obviously there's something else going on you know i always say we tend to just see bodies we don't see souls we don't see the human in that in that casing you know and i think and for some teachers who have been so long in the in the in the sector in the classroom sometimes their humanity um is thinned because of the stresses of the job not not because they choose to but because it's a very stressful job i think they tend to overlook certain things to not add on to their weight um and i don't know that's why i'm saying now i don't think i could go back because there's so much more things that you would add on so many things these kids are dealing with these days that i don't know if i have the capacity or the tools to even deal with it but um now that you like you know just now you were talking about the whole part about what you you know not expect but what you think a teacher should do um what is something that you've seen whether it's um while you were going through that whole process of you know learning to be a teacher what is something that you think that others tend to overlook as teachers that they should you know prioritize this coming from your observation with colleagues um your daughter coming to you telling about what she's experienced mm -hmm. at school what's something that you yeah. think is lacking i think creativity and fun to be very honest with you um back in the day we used to say the chalk and talk doesn't isn't enough 
And I think a lot of teachers, um, well, not a lot of teachers, but some teachers would be like, okay, I'll make a chart today. You know, and I think you guys would know when we were being evaluated because everyone would have charts all of a sudden and innovations and creativity would come out all of a sudden for like one or two weeks of the year. And I tried as best I could to keep it creative and fun because <laughs> one of the things I noticed going into my second year, I was like, oh, my goodness, I need to deliver the same content from last year. Again, to a whole new different set of students. That just seemed absolutely boring for me. I was like, how can I do the same thing all over again? I can't do that. So I, every year I would spend time on looking like, okay, I need to deliver this same topic. Um, how can I do it differently? What can I incorporate this time? Um, is it music? Is it poetry? Is it skits? Is it a game? And a lot of the things that I brought to class were handmade. A lot of them were made from scratch because, we one, we don't have the money. Two, they're not available in-country anyways. And if we wanted to bring it in from abroad, it would cost an arm and a leg. So a lot of the things that I would use was handmade. I would go, A&R was my best friend. I would go in, A&R is the, the stationary place. I would go in. And honestly, every month I would spend about a hundred, maybe two hundred and fifty dollars out of my pay to um for materials and stuff. Because the school literally gave me when I started, they gave me a red pen, a black pen, a blue ink pen, maybe two or three permanent markers, a pair of scissors, a stapler, some staples, not even a full box, some staples. Um, I'm trying to remember what else. And I think a couple, sh uh, like not even a full ream of paper, just like, you know, like half a ream or something like that. That and teacher, teacher starter pack sounds very depressing. <laughs> very much so. So I said, and then Joshua, they tell you, please decorate your classroom for the first day of class with that. I but guess I remember there was a hack that nobody tried to do. What was that? You have to use the two sheets of Bristol board cut them into mm -hmm. tiny pieces, just stick them on the wall all over the place, um, use the permanent markers to write on the wall. No, and they tell you, don't damage the wall. Well, you see, based on what, <laughs> based on the resources, what else can you do? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so, and you want it to look nice because it's not even for you. It's not even for, well, the teacher feels good coming into a classroom that's well set up. And they will tell you, you need to have your timetable, your duty list, your rules. You need to have the, the national prayer, the school prayer, all those things up. So they will tell you. And I remember I, the, my first year, I got one mark over at the wooden building. Now, I walk into, into this wooden building that should not be a classroom to begin with. Um, and I have to turn that and make it welcoming to 30 13 year olds now if you remember your 13 year old self you're not a little kid anymore and you're not necessarily a full-blown teenager yet so how do i decorate for a 13 year old you know you you won't put <laughs> you won't put little animals and stuff and then you can't put all these other grown-up things you know so trying to find out and then making it happen with the starter package that i told you about so i remember having to borrow money that first time to go get um 
the label stickers for the tables where you could write your name on. Um, and getting a, like the border for the, the chalkboard and getting borders for the bulletin board and that sort of thing. And then you have to buy your oh a real uh, a roll of tape. Sorry, was in the starter pack masking tape. That was it because we had to stretch that. Um, but yeah, creativity and fun. I think you need to do as much as possible to bring that into most of your lessons. Um, it can't be every lesson because then too much fun is a bad thing, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, which is true because. Because at the same time, you know, you're trying to prepare the students for what I comes that, next. That, that, that balance, that balance thing. Yeah. You know, um, you know and then I, I, I keenly remember us playing card games in third and fourth and karaoke. I can remember Ajane singing at the karaoke. I mean, in, in third and fourth form, which is junior and senior year of high school, for those of mm-hmm. people that might wonder what it is. What do, what, yeah. What yeah. Um, I remember... I clearly remember us, and I think you have on your Facebook us mm-hmm. coloring different, just random pages. Oh, that was fourth. Yes, that was so, fourth. So, okay, so the a simplest lot of, that, of things. A lot of that came, and I remember, I remember that day specifically. Um, you guys had had back-to-back tests, and I had you after those tests. Um. And I remember coming into homeroom in the morning and you were all just stressed out that some of you hadn't slept because you had assignments. Like it was like towards the, the last leg of fourth. So it was a very stressful period. And I come in, I'm like, hmm, I can't teach these guys today. And I had a new topic that day. And I said, no, I can't teach these guys today. They're in, not in the mental capacity to take in anything new right now, much less, you know, handle everything that they're they're barely handling what they have on their plate right now. I cannot add on anything to that. So I had done even for myself, and this is where I said that my home life would trickle into school life and vice versa, because coloring at home was a decompressor. It was one of those things after a very tough day or week, you know. We would just pull out a coloring book. Crayolas do it for me still. I still sniff the boxes. I'm one of those persons. Um, uh, very interesting. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> just yesterday I did it. Um, but and, and there's a whole childhood memory attached to that. But coloring, I think I had been doing it earlier that week, but as a lesson for my first years. And they had had such a great time with it. Like, hmm, I never remember the last time I color or you know i I haven't done this in a long time so it was one of those hmm, interesting and then i remember going back to my desk and preparing for class i will my lessons were already prepared and then just having one of those plot twist moments and saying okay no i can't i can't teach today about what am i going to do crossword puzzles no that's a lot of mental work um karaoke no i can't take that because i didn't get the i didn't sign out the the equipment for it in time all right i'm gonna print some coloring pages i have some extra ones from the first year's class so i'm just gonna take it up and i remember walking in, and then you guys are looking at me like what i was like just color just color just color pick a page and color and it was like seeing a bunch of five-year-olds all over again some of you were hunched over and you know looking for the right color for your picture and it was for you guys to decompress it was for you guys to just forget about everything in the in that moment. 
because life should not be that stressful when you're 16 or 17 years old. You should not be that tired. It was very, not. very therapeutic. Yes. And a, lot, and a lot of it was for that because one of the things I, I say or I have said is that being a teacher, yes, I taught students over the years, but more than anything, you guys taught me. And a lot of it was about chilling, stopping to enjoy the moment and not stressing out about everything. And teenagers have a way of doing that. You know, you're not aware about nothing. It's just life. Enjoy this, you know? And I was like, okay. So a lot of that came back to you guys. Just sitting there. And even now, Joshua, even now, crafting for me or, or the painting, my painting business is therapeutic. It, it's just blanking out. It's one of the forms of meditation that I absolutely love. Because at the end, you have something tangible, to show other people, look, I colored this, or I painted this, or I drew this. And working with your hands allows your brain to just rest for a moment. And I think with guys, I think basketball for you does that to an extent. Um, for others, it might be football. It's just blocking out life. And it stresses for a moment and just focusing on something else that brings you joy or that brings you peace. Because at the very least, we should have peace. You know, and then that increases into joy and happiness and all the other good feelings but like like um, for me it's like of course you don't want to you know just forget that you have things that you have to <laughs> to take care of you know you don't it's mm -hmm. not like you're trying to disregard it but at no, the same no, no. time you just need a little pause Great. from a life you know a <laughs> little refresher something to just recalibrate Reset and recalibrate yeah. that's the word yes and and I think I'm I'm glad that memory stays with you because it's one of those things that I would have hoped to have done more for you guys is to teach you exactly what I said. Life is not supposed to be that stressful. You can pause. You can stop and do something enjoyable. And you know, when when people talk about it, all this inner child and all those things, I saw five-year-old versions of you come out that day. And there were some like, hmm, I don't know why anybody did this, da 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 da, da. And then I was like, just try it. Just give it a try. And then reluctantly, they get into it. Um, you know, it's there's nothing wrong. There's There's nothing wrong with going back to activities from our childhood that brought us peace and joy. Um, we're not being childish. We're being childlike um, as adults. And as you grow up, you will realize that every now and again, you need to go back to those points to recalibrate. So whether it's swimming in the sea down in PG or, or doing something that you used to do with your grandparents, your uncles or your parents, those things bring you back to a point of peace and joy and happiness and contentment. So why not go back as often as possible? And then in the process, as you're growing up, you identify other things that bring you peace and joy, contentment and happiness. And you keep going back as often as possible to those, to those things to recalibrate and to keep you grounded. Um, because I wish I could tell you that as you grow up, it gets easier. Um, and I wish I could have told you that then, but I think I kept it real with you guys back then. I was like, hey, you guys, you know what? Enjoy your high school years because these are going to be the best years of your life. You don't have much worries right now. 
Because after this, it gets real. And then guess what, Joshua? In your 30s and your 40s, it gets even more <laughs> real. So, you know, I'm just going to keep it real. Oh, it sounds, sounds very fun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it should be. <laughs> and I keep coming up because it's taken me a while since, since, since then to, to really cement that into my brain. It should not always be stressful. Yes, it's not all hunky-dory and all um, butterflies and birds and rainbows all the time. It's not meant to be like that. The human experience is not meant to be like that. Um, but the human spirit can handle all of it. It's incredible what the human spirit can have. But once you're able to recalibrate us all. But it's good that life isn't always this beautiful thing. You're like, you know, because without having the bumps in the road, those down moments, you don't get to really enjoy when you get the chance to experience the finer things in life. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one of the first life skills lessons that I would give. It's about peaks and valleys that especially during teenage years and other times of life there's these very high peaks that you have to climb and when you get up there it's really good you feel this elation and then you have the valleys you just there's this down and then i remember the lesson leading from that you know from those high highs and very low lows to having this just like wave where you, it's an up and down, up and down, up and down, but you're moving forward and it's this wave just carrying you. Um, and I think ultimately that's, that's where adulthood should take you. Now, some adults stay in the peaks and valleys that, you know, they like the high um, adrenaline type things and then they have the, the very lows and, you know, that, that's a whole other discussion when it comes to those things. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see how you guys have been handling. You know, uh, I can't believe you're, you're the same 13, 14, 15, 16 year old that I saw grow up in those, those four years. And now look at you all. Just look at you all. I'm like, okay, they've done good. Time goes by so very fast. It does. I mean, that little girl that used to go with me to school, she is. 19 now you know it's almost next year <laughs> next year is gonna make it 10 years yes yes I was since we graduated young. and then so some people will hit that mark and be like what do i have to show for those 10 years you know so think about it. and it's all not only about achievements and certificates and mortgages and all that but what do you have to show for yourself as a person as a human being Yes, you have received from universe, you have received from life, but what have you given back? Oh, so true. Mm-hmm. Well, Miss Cass, it's been a pleasure having you here. As always. And since you are my teacher, can you mm-hmm. just leave us with one key quote or one key whatever it is that you just want to, you know, stick into our minds once more? There's this one quote. Well, I was I was in life skills. I would use quotes a lot. That's how I would start my lessons. But there's this one that I have maintained. I think from high school. I believe it's Robert Frost. He said, um, "Life can be summed up in three words. It goes on. Life goes on. You got to go with it, or you're gonna be stuck behind and trying to catch up afterwards." You know what's crazy is mm-hmm. that 
many times those three words come into my head <laughs> because I used to hear it quite often from you. Yeah. Because what you don't understand is that in that time of my life, it was a very dark time. And literally, you guys saved me. My students saved me because you gave me a purpose to get up every single day to go to work. And being immersed in all that energy that you guys had kept me going. And that's when I learned from experience that life really does go on and that's what it is because even when we pass away even when we transition into whatever it is that's on the beyond um life here will go on and look at us you and i we've both lost very important people in our lives and here we are still you know we can't just be stuck in the mud you have to whether it's you're making just a little movement, an inch, yeah, it, a I mile, mean, whatever exactly, it is, you're still moving. Exactly. You don't, you don't need to run the marathon every day. A couple steps, a walk around the block. Hey, some, some days for some people, it's just making it out to the gate or to the front door. Just you anything, know? something. Just anything, just keep moving forward inch by inch. And at the same time, going back to what we were saying earlier, if you need to stop and rest, and just recalibrate, do that. Recalibrate as often as you need to. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you a lesser or smaller of a person. It makes you human. A car can't go on without the gas. We can't use our devices without charging them. Charging it, exactly. So, so why? And these machines, why? Why do we? And we, we always keep saying, I'm not a machine. Exactly, you're not a machine. So why do you treat yourself like one? And the thing is, we don't even treat the machines like that either. <laughs> We make sure they're charged up, eh? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So let's do the same for ourselves and for those around us. Well, this has been a good one. I'm more than grateful that you've taken the time out of your, your free day to have this conversation with me. It's a pleasure. I would do it anytime. Maybe we might just have to have a part two at some point. Mm, Who that knows? Would be great. Yep. That would be great. <laughs> Awesome, Josh. Thank you for okay. having me. I hope, I hope the messages get out there. Hopefully. And with that said, I will catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Bye.